and welcome back to a brand new season of Opera Omnia. Opera Omnia is the show that picks a director per season and runs through their entire filmography or their Opera Omnia, if you will. Every season I'm joined with a special resident guest host. They will work through each movie with me an episode at a time and I'm excited about this one, not only because my guest this time is someone that I have a long-standing relationship in podcasting and someone that I actually have a podcast with and uh, have a mutual love of similar movies. So it should get quite interesting when dealing with the the integers of greatness that might define my favourite movie by this director over his favourite movie. But also... We are running longer this season, so we've primarily looked at directors who have maybe four or five movies in their filmography. This one here, 11 films, so this show will be running season three from January to November and concluding with a wrap-up in December. So, let me just tell you right now, the director we're covering on this season is David Fincher who has been through the ringer for sure, is a director who is notoriously... I was going to say difficult to work with. I don't think that's the right word. He is very meticulous. And some actors acclimate to that really well. And some actors absolutely hate it. Joining me to discuss the entire filmography of David Fincher is, like I said in the intro, a long-time colleague of mine and friend. I'll put that out there as well. Should have been friend first and colleague, but it's all business up front and party at the back. That's right, the mullet of podcasting duos. Um, let me join my uh, colleague over at Duncan and Bowl, come correct, the phenomenal Bo Ranstall. How you doing? I'm doing wonderfully. Uh, I'm very excited to do this. I This is my first Opera Omnia mm-hmm. appearance. And let me just say, every time you do one of these seasons, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> because I think you should do everything with me. <laughs> and so when, when, like, you know, Derek and people like that are, have been on, and I'm like, oh, man, I should I should be on Opera Omnia. And now I am. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't be happy. And uh, and so thank you, thank you, and 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 for letting me jump in on a director that I think both of us have a lot of love for. So well, this yeah, is going to be this is kind of spun out of our conversation. I want to say it was last. Was it last year? It was maybe two years ago on Mindhunter, which yeah. feels like it was not last year. It feels like it was maybe longer than that. Um, and we we covered season two of Mindhunter, and what I found really interesting about our conversations in that is just in general, how geeky we get about talking about the aesthetic that Fincher brings to the table. And that kind of got me thinking, he would be really, really interesting. Now, truth be told, I think I had already mentioned this to you before Mank had its official release date. So we didn't actually know when it was going to be available on Netflix. And Mank is his, I think it's his return to film, first film in about eight years, because he's been off doing TV stuff and other bits and bobs. So you know, considerable time in between projects, I think it was seven years actually, um, between Gone Girl and Manx, so, and it actually feels quite good to get in on this one, because he has a very varied career, he certainly pivots toward one specific style, he's more a thriller director than he is, let's say, a rom-com director, but there are elements in there, for sure, of kind of softer around the edges, um, Movies, you know, I think of something like The Curious Case of Benjamin Button being the, the kind of standout on those. But he is primarily known as this very visually acute direct and at times clinical 
director and I think that is what makes him so appealing to me. Like I, I know it's one of the reasons I love like a director like Kubrick, for example, um, or even Hitchcock to an extent. I gravitate towards the you know the very distinct. This is how this shot will be composed and everything will be in its place. And it has to be in its place because if it isn't, then I'm I'm not going to be happy. And he doesn't compromise for that, but he has had a very storied career to be sure. And I think this is the first time I'm ever doing an opera omnia where on movie one. It's like, you know, this this might have been the only movie he did after his experience on this. As, you know, it's well documented. He, uh, and we'll get into the details on this one, but it's worth saying that the movie run we're going to cover in this series is Alien 3, 7, The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room, Zodiac, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl and Mank, uh, which is a formidable back catalogue of movies to be sure and I was just thinking about this actors like he's worked with the who's who of kind of modern acting royalty at this stage it's kind of insane um so yeah we get I think I think his crews too like particularly his cinematographers Mm -hmm. uh he doesn't keep with one which is something I I found interesting because I think so many of his movies sort of have a a very distinct cinematic eye yeah and it's just clear, well, that's Fincher. That's not the cinematographer. Even though the cinematographers he's working with are geniuses. Like, oh, yeah. all of them are like, <laughs> holy shit. These guys have, have you know, lensed a number of incredible movies. And Fincher is like, yeah, yeah, yeah not you, him. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> and, and just kind of keeps swapping it up throughout uh, his career. But the, the only kind of recurring collaborators are really, like, musically with Trent Reznor. Yep. And uh, it, I, I find that interesting that he's he really it doesn't really matter who the crew is around him too much. He, he's going to get the movie that he wants. And that's that's really interesting to me. I think like you said, it's kind of Hitchcockian and yeah. uh, and, and Wells and, you know, Kubrick and people like that who are like, you know, this is exactly the movie that's in my head and I'm going to see it on screen. I was going to think Lynch or as well, but less weird. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because Lynch yeah. has a very distinct view of how his movies will look. And he's a, another director that you hear actors speak about with, with fondness, but also talk about the challenges of working with him. Um, and, you know, you yeah. tend to find that those challenges result to... See, when someone says, well, he's a real artist, that usually is code for he's a real pain in the ass. You know, <laughs> yeah. Well, he really knows what he wants. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a, I was reading an article yesterday. Um, it, it was an interview with Sigourney Weaver on the set of Alien Three. Oh wow! <laughs> and it was her talking about how um, <laughs> how she really believes in his vision of the movie and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But the reporter is noting like this is the twentieth take of her coming out of a pipe. Yeah, and it's Sigourney Weaver. Yeah. And, you know, and, and like they're making the point of like, she's a great big movie star and he's making her sweat and get dirty and climb through this pipe and stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's <laughs> David. Right. I mean, we'll get into all this more, but it's to he is an auteur yeah. in the way that the other directors that we've been talking about are auteurs. And and that's one of the great things about Opera Omnia. I mean, when you talk about people like Michael Mann and... Uh, yeah, and so yeah. Forth. We went through Peter Strickland, who, I mean, yeah, if ever uh, there was a director yeah. who just has a distinct visual eye, and season one was Ben Wheatley. And Ben Wheatley's a guy who... I mean, you know a Ben Wheatley movie when it plays. So yeah. I, think, I think that's what's really interesting about... 
And I, one day I'll look back around and, you know, cover Michael Mann again because we've only ever got halfway through that filmography. And some of those ones, yeah, it's a career that dwindles towards the end. But at his peak, um, you, we were talking about movies like Heat, <laughs> like, which is just sure. fucking nuts. Um, but, I think that's kind of cool. That the, the interesting thing about Fincher is that he is an auteur, but he does largely commercial-feeling movies. Yes, yeah, yeah. But they're unlike other commercial movies. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and and so it's really interesting because he has such a... I, I think it comes from his background doing uh, music videos mm -hmm. where he knew how to make something look good and look appealing and knew how to cut it and then translating that sort of aesthetic and that, that sort of visual philosophy to film. Mm -hmm. Is, is really fascinating because his movies are unlike some auteur films like you can there are plenty of people who are like look 2001 is boring as shit yeah and i'm like i disagree <laughs> but i get it mm -hmm. if you are not if you are not into the vibe of that movie then yes that blue danube sequence can be miserable yeah but fincher is i would argue as much of an artist as kubrick mm -hmm. it's just that he he makes more he's like andy warhol he's kind of a pop artist that he's doing fascinating interesting 100 percent artistic stuff but it's way more in that kind of commercial headspace mm -hmm. and and that would that's what makes it so exciting for me i think michael mann is the only other director i can think of off the top of my head yeah that plays in uh, the same the same kind of the same kind of pull so to speak well, yeah, that that can reach a broad audience with a very unique film. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I'll, like, I'll have to think about that I, I, now that I've been talking about it. You know, how I go, Duncan. Sometimes things just come out of my mouth, and I'm like, "Hey, Bo, that was smart." Um, so, yeah, I, I really, I feel like I need to track back on on that. No, that I, I think I think you might be right. I think in terms of like when I look at the movies that are here. There is an argument, certainly, for specifically a movie like Seven or Fight Club to be a more exploitation movie and not a movie that is discussed on the lens that those two movies are in 2020. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Seven's a, Seven is, for all intents and purposes, an exploitation movie. It's a, a you know, a not a crime mystery exploitation serial killer movie. Yeah, yeah, and and Fincher's hands is elevated to this massive blockbuster movie, um, and that's not just the cast that do that. Although the cast certainly help, and when when we get to that one, we can talk about it. But that's a movie that has you know Kevin Spacey um, and uses them very little, but uses them perfectly. He damn near steals yeah. the entire movie, and he's in it for five minutes. And that, I mean, in the hands of another director. You know the 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 need to overplay that might be might be there. You know what I mean? We need to make the villain more villainous, and you know I feel that with someone like Fincher, he understands exactly the mechanism and how that should be brought in, and how much time it should have for it to have its impact. You spend more time wallowing in the deeds and actions of the killer than you do actually speaking to the killer, um, which I think is kind of amazing. And yet it, it runs right through. I think, like I say, he's he's his filmography is a who's who of kind of almost modern acting royally. Now, oh, yeah. when we're talking about all these movies, so the 11 movies, is there any on this list you haven't seen? 
Oh, no. I've seen every Fincher film uh, at least twice. Nice. That is good to know. Coming into this, do you have a favourite that you think will top out this after you've watched them all this year? Is there one that you're yeah. like, yeah, yeah, it's probably this one. Uh, <laughs> this is where I it gets mean, hard, <laughs> it, No, I mean, that's the thing with Fincher's work is that it's really, really good. Probably Zodiac. Mm. I'm like, I'm looking forward to rewatching all of this because that could very well change. But I've watched Zodiac five times at this point. Yeah. That's not a short uh, <laughs> So Yeah. I, I watch it about once every couple of years. Mm-hmm. And it every time I watch it, I'm like, God damn, this movie is so good. <laughs> like, it, yeah. It gets better the more I watch it. And, and but I, I, like I said, I'm looking forward to watching uh, a lot. Uh, of these for a second time because there are movies in Fincher's catalog that I don't necessarily like that much. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm the same as you. I think I'd, I'll be. I'm really actually interested about going back to check out the game because I've seen the game twice and I I genuinely am cold on it. Um, and I'm kind of hoping this time through there's a thread that you know hooks me in a bit more because on paper it's a movie I should love, um, but just never really yeah. worked for me. Uh, and the same with the like you know me, so it should surprise no one that the Curious Case of Benjamin Button is not a movie that I would regularly pick up and watch. Um, it's just, Weirdly, mine is uh, is Fight Club. Really? I, yeah, oh I know, wow! I love, everybody loves that movie, but it's and that I'm really looking forward to watching that again. Yeah, because the last time I watched it, it was I think it was the second time I watched it was uh, a few years ago mm-hmm. when I was like I didn't really like Fight Club too much. Let me watch it again, and I watched it again, and I was like I still don't like Fight Club very much. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I like it on a very technical level. I mean, we'll talk much more about Fight Club in more detail, mm-hmm. but it is one of those things like right off the bat, like that's kind of the scale for me is is Fight Club doesn't really resonate with me. Just uh, there's a lot about it that I don't uh, technically wonderful, a lot of stuff in, in, in the, the theme of that film that I don't, I'm not crazy about. And then, and then Zodiac, the most like esoteric and yeah. like the ending isn't resolved real well and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's just like, man, that movie is, I could, I could, like if, if I died in heaven was just watching Zodiac over and over again, I'd probably be okay. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a great interview. One of those like, um, in advance of the, the Oscars, these, you know, it's not, um, it's like not Entertainment Weekly, but it's, it's those big variety. Maybe actually, they do these round tables with actors and directors, and they do these series, and they're they're brilliant to, to jump in on because you just get like a, a good idea of of like the, the the wee actors or directors approach their their medium. And uh, there's a there's a great there's a great one that has both uh, Edward Norton and um, Mark Ruffalo talking about david fincher if you can find it on youtube it is amazing because uh, yeah. they like norton's like that yeah well both me and uh, me and mark here both work with fincher he goes but i worked with him when he was still working on film and you know mark worked on his first zodiac's the first movie he shot on digital so he's like so he worked with him on digital he goes and i remember what i was like working with him and it was like 70 takes and he's like that and i remember we have a mutual friend who sent me a message to say Mark's at his wit's end because I've just called take 80 <laughs> and apparently the story is he, he, he got to take 80 went behind like Mark Ruffalo thought that Fincher was basically unhappy with him 
Um, but he apparently walked past him, didn't make eye contact, moved one of the, the extras in the back over a little bit, and then moved back and tapped Mark on the back as if to say, good job. Went back behind the camera and then shouted to the man to delete the first 30 takes. <laughs> oh, shit. You're in for the long haul adventure. I love it. Right. But but the but on the other side of that, you're in a movie that is going to be remembered for decades. Oh god, yeah. I mean, like you know. I'm with you in this one. My favorite coming into this is Zodiac. Um it's you know, like because I think it is, you know, it's maybe my favorite serial killer movie ever made. Uh I think it is that you know, it's a movie which just it, it's so engaging. Like it's a movie that's long but does not feel a second of its time. Um, so I'm, I'm I'm very much looking forward to going back through these, and there are a couple in here that I've only ever seen once. So I only ever saw his girl with the dragon tattoo one time at the cinema. Uh, and it wasn't good. wasn't because yeah. I didn't like it; it was because I'd seen the original. So I, you know, yeah, you know, by by that point, I was like, well, we'll see how he does with the second one, which obviously never happened, and we'll get into some of those details as well. The last question I ask before we get full on into to Fincher uh, by talking about the first movie on this episode, Alien 3. I always ask all my guests to describe the director in three words. Now what we'll do is we'll look right back at the very end of this season, so it'll be December 2021. We'll come back and we'll have a small closing out show where we chat about the movies and stuff. And I'll ask you if those three words are still the best three words you can think of to describe the director. Now, the reason I usually ask this is everyone has a very strong view whether they have or have not seen a director's film, you know, full filmography. And what is great is when you start doing it over a more concise time, you'd be surprised how many times opinions change. You know, I, you know, we might have in your three words, we might have the word clinical, but by the end of it, that word clinical might not be the word that best describes them it might be more meticulous you know something that seems less sharp and cold so Bor Hansdell I'm going to ask you at the start here if I had to ask you to pick three words to sum up David Fincher's films what three words would they be? Um, I would say precise mm -hmm. is my is my synonym for meticulous here um, uh, dark mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, which I know sounds glib, but I, I mean, every movie he directs is kind of dark. Uh, they're all dark. <laughs> yeah, thematically. I mean, there is, I there uh, yes, the, the the comedy is dark, the the setting is dark, the shots are dark. Mm -hmm. It's all dark. Um, and uh, and anti-authoritarian. Ooh, nice. Uh, there, is a, there is a long thread of anti-authoritarianism that rolls through. Uh, his movies so um, nice. yeah and also I would point out I think another reason that we love Zodiac so much is you and I are both big Donovan fans yes and so when Hurdy Gurdy Man rolls around like we're uh, yeah we're in a uh, happy oh, place aren't we yeah yep. I mean it's hard Look, I like all Donovan <laughs> but Hurdy Gurdy Man in particular is real good Donovan yep it's good song. he's Scottish by the way right isn't Donovan Scottish I thought he was but then yeah. the, the, my country has so little people living in it that we just take anyone that even if you self-identify self as Scottish you're Scottish um, oh well not, now I'm Scottish well, um, well, well, no, yeah, not you, you have... you're the exception um, oh shit <laughs> <laughs> but you have, uh, I mean, legends of rock, uh, Donovan and Phil Wynan, not mm -hmm. to mention, uh, 
uh, Dolores Arroyo. No, that's is Del no that she was Irish. Never mind. Sorry, <laughs> I almost misattributed singers to you. But Stop, hey, she don't made give us your singers. Yeah, she made claim that she's Scottish. And, and if she does, we will accept her. <laughs> anyway, enough about the the famous rockers of Scotland. <laughs> what are your three? Let's hear it. I don't usually do three. I, <laughs> I, I, usually, I usually just keep it on you. To be honest, I think I would go with Meticulous. I do like Meticulous. I would also lean into Dark, and I would also use the word cold. Um, I, I hmm. don't find a lot of warmth in any of these movies, and I think that's fine. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I, I think like, he's, he's famously the sort... Like, when you think of the colour palette of Alien, which is Alien 3... Which is set in this, you know, like, like fucking. Which is black and amber. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but when you think about like how much, you know, molten metal is in there, the movie still is cold. <laughs> like you're surrounded by, yeah. like what, well, like people are sweating in that movie a lot and doing a lot of physical labor. Yet the movie still feels cold. Um, so yeah, I would go dark, cold, and meticulous as my three for David Fincher. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to. It. I really am genuinely. Looking forward to, to running the train on him this year and seeing where we end up. And he's now, in the time that's taken us to like set up our time schedules and kick off this season, um, he's signed a you know a multi project you know multi million dollar deal with Netflix, which Great. I think is the best fit in the world. For it doesn't surprise me. And once again, at the back of our Alien Three discussion, you will find out if you're not aware of some of the stories behind this, you will find out exactly why working with a Netflix, uh, a company who has, you know, very little interest in poking its nose into the projects in which it finances, um, you will see why that's a perfect fit for a director like David Fincher. So, yeah. Um, and, and so is it worth saying, like, before we even get started with the, like, Fincher himself, mm -hmm. that Alien 3, before Fincher's name ever was attached, was a troubled project. Oh, it was a yeah. The, the, right, you've got to if we if we sit back and think about Alien as a movie, which I mean, we go back right back to the the start, right back to the genesis. We go to Alien. So um, Ridley Scott comes out, does his movie. It's essentially, <laughs> you know, it's a it's a B movie horror in space. That is that is what it is. Yeah. And, it's a funhouse. Yeah, monsters gonna get you moving. Yeah, but in the hands of a Ridley Scott and the talent that he brings to the set, and also the well, that meticulous nature that yeah, this is why Fincher feels like a no-brainer for Alien Three. Um, you know, in terms of like, yeah, you go back to the the guy that comes from a you know a career of doing music videos or advertising or whatever, like Ridley Scott had. Um, but you. You come away with that, and that movie becomes a surprising success. I mean, not surprising if you watch it; it's an incredible movie, but it's a surprising success. So they then green like the James Cameron sequel, and James Cameron goes full in action, creates arguably one of the best sequels to a horror movie you know, of all time. Um, yeah, it goes it, a totally different direction yeah. with it, but makes it his own is very much a James Cameron movie. Oh yes, but. Uh, but yeah, does does a wonderful turn with the franchise and makes it bigger and all that stuff. And it makes all the money. It becomes hugely yeah. financially profitable. Same, and, same summer, by the way, as uh, uh, the 
was no i i always get this wrong always always uh say this came out the same year or aliens came out the same year as the fly and i don't think that's true i'm trying to remember is aliens 86 or oh no it is they are both 86 because yeah. yeah. i remember seeing them both the same summer and i keep i keep thinking i have that wrong in my head but yeah <laughs> Fly came out the same summer, and I saw both of those at the age of thirteen. Foxy, it blew the, at the end of that summer. I was done. I was never going to be right as a person again. <laughs> so but it's huge. This movie is massive, right? And as a result, Fox, who own the rights to it, twenty um, first century Fox, are like, you know what? We, ladies and gentlemen, we got a franchise on our hands here. Um, <laughs> you hear that voice? We got ourselves a our yeah. franchise. We're <laughs> from, <laughs> come get it, boys. <laughs> We're from Black Gold, a franchise. Woo! Yeah. Um, like they, they genuinely get very giddy and very excited. But yeah, they set a date. They yeah. said uh, Alien Three coming this date, and they were like, "What's it about? We don't know." Yeah, I mean, this is the. I mean, I mean, as to, to be fair, that is essentially what we're doing nowadays. Like Disney's programmed the next what ten Star Wars movies, thirty five. Yeah, like, and there's no names attached, no nothing. Right, this is when this will drop. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I mean, there's there's there is a bit of that kind of you know something to aim, something to be look, something to look forward to. But the problem is, as we would find out, um, is that whilst they were very keen to make a new movie, they were incredibly protective of the franchise. Like Fox were all over this with a fine tooth comb uh, it was their property and they didn't want anyone to fuck it up ergo they didn't want anyone who would be argumentative or stubborn with their material they essentially wanted final say over everything and as a result it went through a few hands this went through hands and writers like i go through a all you can eat chinese buffet bowl <laughs> like just like a like a devastating hurricane of nonsense and consumption. Um, I, you know, I to to read some of these stories, and there are some incredible ideas here. And the you know, this almost needs a kind of Jodorowsky Dune documentary full on treatment where we see like, and you can check out like some of the because at one point the movie was supposed to be. It was a wooden monastery planet, which doesn't make any sense, but by God, would I watch that movie? I would watch it so well, hard. <laughs> the idea was, right, that there there was this weird outpost that was a monastery. Mm-hmm. The, they crash land there, the aliens loose, and a literal devil shows up at these, at these gates. And some of that made it into this movie because there's the kind of religious stuff that's going on in this movie that's the not soundtrack really for sure out. there's whole sections which have kind of like choir you know qu- like it's essentially church choir vocals um and the soundtrack yeah. and the score which i mean it works <laughs> if anything actually works surprisingly well but yeah there are whole whole elements that went in there but you know the the wooden planet didn't and to be honest with you like i said before in, in my brain i think it sounds like a cool concept i don't know how you would do it um you know, but like Fox were all over this and they settled for David Fincher, who um, I think they thought would be malleable to their whims because uh, he was young and naive and this was his first feature. And also right. Fincher was and still is a lifelong Ridley Scott fan. He, like he adores Ridley Scott, a uh, big fan of the franchise in general. So he was committed to it and 
I think that's maybe where the well, that's the start of the issues. Uh, infamously, he originally brought on board the cinematographer that did Blade Runner, um, who had to abandon the project two weeks in because he got advanced Parkinson's. Like, and like he, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's apparently just before the project, just before his inclusion in the project, and within two weeks of the shooting starting, he had to be removed from it because it had degraded so bad. Um, and you know, it just seems like the most miserable experience every decision he put forward was second guessed he was told to go in different directions they spent millions on dollars millions of dollars on sets and props that were not used um and then you have fincher himself who like we've already said will pretty much de- demand the perfect shot as he envisages it so and you're shooting on film as well so the you know 40 50 60 70 80 takes cost I mean, that's like that. You've literally got someone beside you going with a till, like typing this up every, are we yeah. like that constantly? And and for, and for listeners who who don't really think this through, so here's what has to happen, mm-hmm. right? So Fincher is doing, let's let's conservatively say twenty takes of a scene. Mm-hmm. That is X number of feet of film. Yep, like physical feet of film. That then has to be taken by can to be developed so that they can do dailies. Yeah. And so it is like most people do, uh, you know, regular directors like television directors do like one take, maybe two. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of it. Like soap operas are all one take shit, you know. And, <laughs> and and so you know, the higher you climb up the the Hollywood ladder, the more feet of film you can kind of burn and mm-hmm. get away with it. But as we've already said here, this is Fincher's first movie, and he is chewing up film mm-hmm. in a movie that, like you said, he 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 co wrote one of the drafts of the script yep. before he was attached to direct and and so when he came on to direct he was like okay i'm gonna take all this shit from the 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 script that i wrote and here's some stuff from uh the, the other thing that was written like you said lost his, his uh cinematographer ended up picking up alex thompson who did who is, legend who's, yeah who's yeah, it's not no there's no slouch at all by the way I mean, right. if that okay. guy's your backup cinematographer you're doing fine <laughs> yeah was like working up till the last few years of his life and was still doing great work mm-hmm. even then and like shot brana's hamlet yeah, uh, 10 years before at the, at the age of almost 70 you know <laughs> So I mean, just a fucking stud. So he's got he's got a great cinematographer, but as you said, the studio kept it like right. The studio thinks that they have to protect this franchise. The problem is they're not very creative. They just don't want anyone to fuck it up. And here's Fincher, who is a, another auteur, like a Cameron, and like, and maybe that's the other like Cameron. Eh, I don't know why I would call his movies art though, and I definitely yeah. would. Scott, <laughs> anyway, have you so not really, seen uh, Avatar, Bull? <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's unobtainium, why I had a- bull. Unobtainium. <laughs> Look, I there's plenty of James Cameron I like, and I even like Avatar. But is it art? Mm, no. <laughs> um, but at any rate, so you have an auteur like a Ridley Scott, and who worships at the altar of, uh, of Scott, as you said, trying to kind of replicate, uh, not necessarily that movie, but that quality of movie. Mm-hmm. 
and there are glimpses of it all over the place in this film like it is 60 percent an amazing alien movie yeah and then it's 40 percent like what is happening now and like there's just a lot of uh it feels kind of chopped up you know um all the stuff with the the monks in the monastery and that kind of quasi-religious order within the prison it feels like it ought to be more important and it kind of never is yeah um the uh by the way have did you watch the uh dog makeup tests no i did not okay so the idea in this movie is that you're dealing with a different kind of alien because uh, a face hugger attaches to a dog yes instead of a person so it comes out a little more four-legged and a little scrawnier and so there are actual film tests man where fincher originally was like i don't want to do cgi Mm -hmm. which is the right impulse but he was like let's dress up this fucking dog as an alien it's like a big gray i don't know the exact breed but it's that kind of wiry ass dog Mm-hmm. And they had it fully covered in latex and alien head on it. It's tail wagging back and forth, <laughs> happy as can be. It is like it's one of those things of like, oh right, this is gonna look stupid. Yeah. So we can't do this. And and so, and so I, I'll send you the link. Uh, it is wonderful. Um, but <laughs> if they, Luce will so, destroy your planet, wipe out all humanity, but also stops for belly rubs. Right, <laughs> who's a good alien? Who's a good alien? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, it, it, but it is all of that. It's just this happy dog following people around in this kind of unpainted latex, mm-hmm. and they fit this kind of you know the alien looking head over it. Oh no! <laughs> but anyway, so right, like Fitcher was kind of all in on this, and, and and it didn't work. So they had to go to these stupid CGI uh, alien effects that don't look very good. Yeah, but the thing is, he comes from the well. The, if we're being fair, like think of the time. This is ninety two, so it would have been shot in ninety one. And yeah. so we're early CGI to begin with, you know, like yeah. the, the industry right. isn't great. And he comes from a back, I, th- I, I believe he worked with a digital effects company or he had a background in digital effects. So he, if you're going to switch to that, that makes sense. But the, the, it's a combination of miniatures, digital effects, um, and there's a couple other bits and bobs that they use at different parts. But sadly, the alien is, you're right, the alien is the bit where they have to kind of in order to do what they want to do here the alien is the thing that they have to CG the most of and as a result in this movie it doesn't look great um, it looks yeah. maybe less great now for like almost 30 years removed I mean this movie's 30 years old next year um, so you know I, 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 I'm with you I think I, I'm trying to remember at the time because I saw this movie when it came out um, and I remember being all in on the CG but then I also remember that I would have been 11 when this movie came out, so I knew fuck all about anything. So, like, at the yeah. same time, like, don't go with what my, you know, my 11-year-old juvenile, like, thoughts were at all. Like, I, it's difficult to say. And then on top of all that, as if all that isn't, like, enough, um, it just became, like, the worst place to work for him. So much so that as soon as the film wrapped... Uh, and credit to him because I would have walked before this uh, as soon as the movie wrapped he washed his hands of it so he had nothing to do with the edit 
in this movie. Yeah. It basically went straight to Fox, who edited the way they wanted it, and it was released. Um, and it's a movie he will not talk about. Like David Fincher does not talk about Alien Three. And then, yeah. as if <laughs> like, this is this is the this is the bit where you like this is how I know I like David Fincher, right? Um, early two thousands, they do the the assembled cut, I think is what they call it. So they go back. Uh, Fox decides they're going to extend the olive branch out to David Fincher. They've got still got all the material that is shot, and they say, right, you know, if you want to do your cut of the movie, we'll bring it together. It must have been for one of those big package releases at the time. Right. And I'm also, sure Fincher I it. had done incredible movies, and they're yeah. like, oh, he, he was, he was, he was doing well, but <laughs> at that point, he was doing quite well. Yeah. Uh, they extended the olive branch to him, and Fincher basically told them to fuck off. Still didn't want anything to do with it. So Fox used his old notes, like the notes that he jotted down for how he, like the storyboards that he'd put out, to, you know, basically collage together what they believe Fincher's vision of the movie would have been. So even at that point, Fincher was so over this project and the experience he had, he didn't want anything to do with the director's cut. I am not familiar with many directors that do that. Most yeah, of them, it, when it, given the opportunity, will come back and do their cut to get it out there and say, this is the movie you could have seen, but the studio interfered. He didn't do that. So, I mean, well, it must have been the, fairly miserable. Yeah, well, and also that's kind of that anti-authoritarian streak that I think Fincher possesses as much of his as his movies, mm. where he's like, no, fuck you guys. You screwed me over on this movie. I'm not going to help you resurrect it somehow yeah and also i'm doing other shit you know it's it, it's the the joke about you know dave Chappelle hanging out with kanye yeah it, you know of like i'm doing cool shit i'm kanye you know yeah. and that's kind of david fincher like no i'm not gonna go back and recut a movie you fuck me on i'm gonna go make like you know zodiac how about that i'll make a masterpiece yeah. that'll feel good <laughs> um and yeah so and and also i think the the movie too um there is like the ideas in the movie are really interesting yeah uh where it is again a continuation of this idea that the company is uh is aware of this alien that they know everything you put something in a computer the company knows about it mm -hmm. and uh that's kind of an interesting progression of the idea of the company fucking over like it turns out in uh, uh aside from burke in aliens you know the android was cool and the marines were all cool and that kind of thing so it wasn't as much about uh the the authority as it was this yeah. one company but this is like no nah, man like uh basically the universe has thrown all you assholes into uh you know like what what is the line you guys found god at the edge of the universe yeah you know uh that you're being discarded by humanity as a whole onto this shithole planet um, and the company is going to come here and they're going to murder all of you. Yes. Which, by the way, is just what happens. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, like, there's a coda on this movie that's like, by the way, no, there were no survivors, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and uh, it, like, it is all about, like, you can't, you kind of can't fight City Hall. Yeah. You know? And also elements, and this is where it gets messy because there are elements of, well, there's the sacrifice that Sigourney Weaver is making, and that's kind of, you know, there was a thing where Fincher talked about that was her arc through the movies and the in the. Well, first yeah, well, movie. Fincher's original ending and the ending in the assemble cut. There is no alien that bursts through her chest at the end. 
you know what I mean? Like the yeah, Fincher's yeah, ending to this movie kills the franchise, so I can see why Fox re-edited it. <laughs> so, yeah, you, you killed our franchise. We just struck black gold. How dare you? Right. It's yeah. It's like again, it's Chuck Heston being like, "Yeah, I'll come back to do Beyond the Planet of the Apes," but at the end of the movie, you gotta blow up the world. <laughs> never doing it again they're like all right whatever you say yeah whatever you say is if we don't have a loophole for that <laughs> right yeah. Yeah. turns out you can go back in time <laughs> um but yeah it <laughs> that that'll be the next alien movie it's the alien well it kind of was already it was God, yeah yeah, yeah. Pr- prometheus prometheus is the prequel so that's yeah. what they did they took it as far as they could they brought it back to ridley scott and ridley scott went i'm not following that shit i'll just go back <laughs> Yeah, um, that yeah. Anyway, that's a whole half half hip, a half Ripley alien hybrid thing. No, nope, don't want to do that. <laughs> like, not <Right>. doing that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know the movie is kind of made a mess because of all the the re-edits yeah. and, and them trying to you know just cram this into some kind of cohesive story. Story arcs and- that go nowhere. Like there's there, right. there are several story arcs that that like from a from a character perspective feel very unsatisfying because they go nowhere and you have a tremendous cast here. Um, you've got uh, Charles S. Dutton who oh, is man, like what happens with that character? Like that character is like they fuck and then he gets killed by an alien. The end. Yep, Charles Dance, like, Paul what? McGann, Brian Glover. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> then the American says. Remember the Alamo, and he chucks out the alien. <laughs> a, 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 a name that is very familiar to us because we did Mindhunter, but Holt McAnally's in this, uh, yeah. which I didn't realise he'd such a history with Fincher. He'd done a ton of Fincher movies before he did Mindhunter, which makes a lot of sense. Um, Glance Henriksen reprises his role as mutilated bishop, but also bishop... But like we're going to claim that he's not. He's the actual bishop. That yeah. There's a whole lot of messy shit in this movie. But I'll tell you what the revelation for me in this is. Um, like, because I, I suppose at this point we should probably start talking about the movie. Uh, so what we'll do is we'll we'll play you the trailer. And when we come back, we're going to get into the actual ins and outs of acting. You know, like the the story, the bits that work, the bits that definitely don't work. Uh, and bring it into a nice conclusion. So we're going to take a short break. You're going to hear the trailer when we come back. We are getting into Alien 3 right after this. Was there an alien on board? Yes. There's definitely something in here with us. We have no weapons of any kind. Started. It's here.
fans, welcome back. So we've just had the trailer for Alien 3. Like we say, directed by David Fincher, as all movies this season will be. Um, this has screen... be. All <laughs> movies should. Should be, yes. The screenwriting credits listed on IMDb. They've only given me the top three, but this went through so many rewrites. We've got Vincent Ward, who obviously come up with the, the Monastery Planet idea. Uh, Roland Schusset. Uh, and Dan O'Bannon, who is the originator of the, you know, the Alien franchise cast, like we mentioned before the break, Sigourney Weaver, Charles S. Dutton, Charles Dance, Paul McGann, Brian Glover, Ralph Brown, Danny Webb, uh, Holt McAnally, Lance Henriksen, um, anyone else worth mentioning? Pete Postlewaite, who is fucking great. Yeah, blinking you'll miss him. Lance Henriksen, uh, oh, if you yeah. didn't He's all through this. Yes, the uh, uh, Vincenzo Nicolai, who I recognise his face, but I could not tell you what he's been in. Um, oh, and also before we jump ahead, uh, Ralph Brown uh, as well, who's pr- the casting is great in this. Um, so here's the setup: the according to IMDb, the IMDb is after her last encounter, Ellen Ripley crash lands on Fiorina One Six One, a maximum security prison. When a series of strange and deadly events occur shortly after her arrival, Ripley realises that she's brought along an unwelcome visitor. Um, and that is right. Like a racist uncle brought to a party. Uh, you know, oh no, he's here again. Uh, <laughs> goody. Um, don't, don't, don't give him Chinese food. Uh, so the... <laughs> The, the the setup is that, you know, at the end of the last movie, we had uh, Hicks, uh, Newt, Bishop, uh, who was mangled already, and Ripley all escaped, blowing up the planet, uh, nuking it from orbit, and, um, you know, they kill off the alien queen, and everything looks like it might be okay, and she might be going home, but if history has taught us anything... Uh, Ripley will never make it home um, we'll never see her on earth we'll see her near earth but never on earth uh, so yeah she crash lands and there you know there is there was a face hugger on this ship that sabotages it waits for a wee while sabotages the, the escape pod ship thing which crashes um, everyone dies apart from Ripley and then, like you said before, uh, one of the, the dogs on the planet gets attacked by the facehugger and Alien comes out of it. And as you can imagine from that point onwards, it pretty much plays out like an Alien movie. You know, we if anything, it plays out as a kind of weird combination between Alien and Aliens in that it's a, you know, in, enclosed space. But this time we're only dealing with one Alien like we did alien uh but it kind of has the the actiony moving movements and pace at times of aliens so it's like a, a weird hybrid of the two first thing i'll say up front about this movie bo is i think sigourney weaver is fucking great in this like as mm-hmm. as the evolution of the character goes i think she is brilliant because the first movie she's kind of science officer turned reluctant hero and the second movie she's kind of well, reluctant hero turned like all out badass by the end, and this movie it's full on survivor. Like, yeah, the it, role it, she, she plays in this, and she plays it very well. She is officially too old for this shit. She yeah. is not <laughs> getting too old for this shit. She has now become too old for this shit, and <laughs> that is the distinction between her and Danny Glover. Uh, but otherwise, very similar people. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah it, it i like her character a lot in this movie because like you said she's seen it all mm -hmm. she knows what needs to happen she is resigned to her fate through much of this film yeah yeah where she's like look i i don't expect to make it out of this i just want to kill this fucking alien yeah if i'm not go. making out of this it's not making out of this yeah and and so and like there is this really interesting relationship she uh, the uh charles dance is the the sort of doctor of this prison yes uh, colony and he is uh clearly a little bit different he's um i don't want to say better educated he's just a little more erudite and he's not immediately like you know I would like to fuck you. <laughs> some of the, the prisoners, not so much, you know, because he tells uh, uh, her like, "Hey, uh, you're you're the first woman that most of these men have seen in decades, and uh, I'm one of those men. Yeah. Um. So you need to stay away from everybody. You're gonna have to shave your head because lice uh, can can get in, into your business. Mm -hmm. And uh, but immediately, Sigourney Weaver is like, uh huh. Look, I'm going to stand in front of you naked and make us both uh, uncomfortable, mostly you. <laughs> and then I'm going to demand to see the corpses of my friends. Yeah, I mean, it's like the the fact that, once again, I think she realizes that the story that she's going to tell is so fantastical about this, you know, alien parasite and, and whatnot. She, like, she plays her, like in the previous movie, she saw where that got her. Like in aliens, she's like full on. They destroyed everything on the ship and all the rest. And they're like, "Yeah, you are now not allowed to fly. You're not allowed to do anything. We're reprimanding you here. We're charging you for the cost of, like, the uh, cost of a ship you'll never be able to pay for, and all the rest until shit goes down. And then she's brought in. And this one, she plays exactly like the character should play, in that she knows she sees the 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 burn marks on the cryo unit. And at that point, she's like, well, yeah, this fucking thing's here, right? We, we brought it with us, but I'm not going to tell them that there's an alien running about the place because they're not going to fucking believe me. Um, and I don't want to have to go through that. What I'll do is I'll try and sort it out myself uh, because I know I can trust me. And did you see what I did to that alien queen in the last movie? I'm a fucking killer. Um, yeah. But, like, in a lot of respects, weirdly, her... Not her in action, but... The, the fact that she can't convince them at the start there's an issue or refuses to do such as soon as she sees a predicament ultimately means that several people are gone before we know exactly what's going on in this in this colony. Um, there's a great scene where she kind of reanimates the, the, the remaining torso, the bust of Bishop. Bishop's bust, um, which sounds like a, like a, a really nasty makeout point. <laughs> like, where are the teens yeah. hanging out this weekend? Yeah. Ooh, Bishop's bust. Um, oh. The Zodiac killer showed up. They were killed at Bishop's bust, <laughs> looking over the the valley. But like when he comes back, and you know he's he's kind of reciting what actually happened to give the confirmation that we already know but like you say by that point we already have it's a great scene where the aliens being birthed from the dog at the same point as we're getting this very operatic score and the you know the the, the cremation of the remaining well the the dead crew right well, yeah because we've had this really uncomfortable autopsy scene with yeah. new where she's like hey i need you to cut into this surrogate daughter of mine <laughs> 
I don't know if you remember in the last movie, but I just found out that like I, I had this daughter back on Earth who I missed her entire life, and then I found Newt and I rescued her. Who calls me mummy at the end of the movie? Yeah, and and it turns out she drowned in her own pod. Yeah, so. Mm, this is a little difficult and also i'm checking her for aliens yeah so a lot of emotion right now for ripley we get so Um, much i was i was gonna say this this movie exposits its load in the first seven minutes like the first seven minutes of this movie it gives you the spaceship flying through the you know the hint of the alien on the ship destroying things the you know the fact that all the crew members die <laughs> all, all the characters you grew to love at the end are wiped out in the first seven minutes of this movie and we are crashed and we are in a new scenario where ripley's been saved seven minutes it does that it's like like yeah. everything you like everything you thought you were going to get in alien 3 is pretty much put to bed in the first seven minutes and then it's like that no this is the Ripley show and I get it I totally get it I, I know why you do that because Ripley is the character we've followed through but by god did I not like that setup at the end did I not like the idea yeah. of her having a you know maybe potential future Hicks husband and did I not love the idea of her adopting Newt and all the rest and they it's that coldness <laughs> like they, they just get rid of that don't get attached this could have been written by yeah. George R. R. Martin. That's what I'm saying. This but. movie is this movie is top to bottom fucking grim. Oh god, yes. Like it starts with, hey, remember that happy ending of the second one? Fuck you and yep. fuck that. They're dead. Mm-hmm. And they might be they might be killers because they 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 uh you know bore an alien baby inside them. Mm-hmm. Um and but it turns out it's oh it's Ripley, uh, who has Ooh, the alien inside. Plot her. twist hot shot. Um Going back one one second to uh, speaking of the grimness, going back to that uh, scene where she fires Bishop back up, mm-hmm. like right from jump, he's like, "Oh, Ripley, okay. I'm really fucked up. Um, you need to pull the plug on me. This is terrible." <laughs> and like, kill me now. Yeah, it is. It's a real kill me. Um, but he he says he, he's like, "I'm in pain. Yeah, uh, I want you to end me." Yeah, and she's like. Are you sure? Because we might be able to fix you. And he says, uh, "I could be, uh, I could be perhaps refabricated, but I'd never be top of the line again." Yeah. And I, I, I just want you to do this for me. Pull the plug on me. And and it kind of sets up early this idea of there are worse fates than death. Yes. And and so, again, like. The thread is there, and if it were fleshed out more, it would be really interesting for Bishop to kind of, you know, uh, presage uh, uh, Ripley's ultimate sacrifice yeah. of like, hey, you know, yes, you might die, but you can die for a reason, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of the idea of these prisoners too, is that like, hey, there's no there's no external force like the company and the rest of the universe doesn't give a shit about us we're gonna do the right thing because we need to do the right thing yeah and and again that is all in in the movie but it's none of that stuff is developed well enough uh because there's just it's just a little too patchwork for any one theme to kind of it's just got too many competing themes and none of them totally pay off yeah, you've um, got you've got the as well the setups and the mechanics within the 
penal colony for, for all intents and purposes here, is you have the company people, so they're headed up by Brian Glover, and he has these, like, couple of people that follow, like, um, Aaron, played by Ralph Brim, so, like, his second in control, and you know, Clemens, the, the doctor's kind of, you know, he's with him, um, and they're kind of the, the overseers, so to speak, although what you find out very, very quickly is everyone kind of sees each other on the same level, even though there is a hierarchy there. Um, you've got uh, Dylan, played by Charles S. Dutton, who kind of leads up the the kind of secular religious element. Um, and I love that line about, you know, that they've taken a vow of celibacy, even men. <laughs> like, like, yeah. Because there ain't no women here, so... Uh, right. I mean, that is... Well, it, no, he says, uh, I've taken a vow of celibacy, even women. Yeah, yeah, even women. Yeah, yeah because <laughs> women are the rarity. It's uh, like, I, I took a vow of celibacy because I wasn't going to fuck all these dudes. Yep. And... <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, yeah, like that stuff is really interesting, but doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere at all. Like they t- they they talk about we have we have those moments, those interactions. Like even when, like we mentioned it before, I had to come to the end of the galaxy to find, you know, God or religion and stuff. That's like super interesting, and it's obviously a clear hangover from a previous work of the script. Doesn't go anywhere, and then you have the other side, which are the just basically the criminals that are on on a linchpin here from from like total anarchy um that are being maybe held at bay but not quite you know, they're, they're only a being because the temptation's not there and so there's other strong-willed people there those that have less strong will and the company people make up the dynamic that Sigourney Weaver's brought into and you know the I think the shaving of the head out with the fact it looks cool as fuck um the shaving of the head you know, kind of, it, it brings things in. She she is just part of this now. And we have a timeline. We have one week uh, to the company arrives to come and get her. Um, reminds me a lot of uh, the movie Outland with Sean Connery, where we yeah. have, like, we're now, we're on the countdown. Shit's going to go down when this countdown happens and we need to make sure everything's in place. Um, and, yeah, like, Sigourney Weaver r- realises relatively early in the movie that she might be... She might be the carrier. And as a result, this ends with her. But it doesn't just end with her. She has to get rid of the fucking alien as well. Because if the company gets her hands on any part of this, essentially everything she's been through over the two previous movies has been for naught. The you know, the the you know that it must end here. Like the you know, it, it can't go any further than than what we've got. So we've got three, maybe four really interesting elements. Clemens himself. A hugely you know interesting character with this you know loves to help also you know like the drugs a little bit like to get a bit touchy feely as well Bo um, so this is the the only job he can practice medicine in which is you know if we assume his passion is is medicine and it might be the only way he can actually apply that trade is on the edges of the galaxy uh, away from the company so there's all this stuff that is really super interesting but what Alien 3 majestically manages to do is give you very little depth at all. I mean, I've seen teaspoonfuls of water with more depth to certain yeah, characters. Yeah, a mile them. wide and an inch deep. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's so sad because when you look at other movies that Fincher has done, Fincher, like, yeah, you could claim that he is a very visual director, but I would argue there aren't many of his movies beyond this that feel as shallow. 
And I don't know how much of that is, this is what I'm having to work with, or how much of that is, well, Fox have rewritten the script again, they've removed this scene, I'm not allowed to do this anymore, they've changed this bit here, uh, this no longer has continuity, this no longer makes sense, uh, we don't want the alien killed off at the end, because we might have a fourth movie. Um, I don't know how much of that is in there, but it's a, at times a bit of a frustrating watch when I see actors that I think are brilliant, a concept that I think is kind of cool, um, and, you know, some in this movie, there is real life or death stakes. You know, an LB4, whatever it is, 420 or whatever, uh, 470 or 472, whatever. LB, it was LB426? That sounds good. We'll go with that. On that planet there, you know, if the, the company are trying to get the aliens off the planet, right? But the company are already there. And this one, we have time to make a difference before the company arrives. And, you know, that to me, there should be a, a greater degree of urgency and purchase. And weirdly, I mean, for a movie that's two hours long in this cut, it doesn't have that. There are times where we, we get bogged down in, in detail that isn't fleshed out later on. Or, like you say, we're, we're stuck with scenes where I'm like, mm, not entirely sure what we're we're doing here which is a shame because you juxtapose that with I, I love the choice a lot of the camera angles here are looking from a ground level up um which i really like i don't know why i chose it but i love it when the aliens running through the corridors you get out and out sam raimi evil dead camera work yeah which is yeah. fucking Let's, great <laughs> like, all right so let, for a second we ought to talk about the alien itself yep the this this dog birth alien mm-hmm um, I think, uh, aside from the dodgy CGI of it, I think it was an, a, a neat evolution of of showing the alien kind of in pursuit, that alien vision hunting kind of thing. Yeah, was like, oh, this is like you said, it's kind of Raimi esque and and kind of cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like that the alien is kind of give no fucks threatening. Yeah. Where, like, in the middle of a meeting about how there's no alien, it'll just pop out of a vent and eat the dude. <laughs> Hello! And everybody's just like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> that kind of stuff. Did you ever play Alien Isolation? Yeah, it terrified the fuck out of me, boy. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of that, though. Where it's just like, oh, this thing could pop out of any vent. It's small, it's nimble, it's fast. Um, And it's just going to pop out and pick everybody off one yeah. by one. And it's not quite the uh, the funhouse of the original Alien, yep. and I think this is what you were getting as it's a little more like Aliens in that it's a there's a lot more of the Alien, yes, moving around in this thing, and people trying to fight it and so forth. But it's pretty menacing. Like when it hunkers down and just starts eating a fool, it's like, yeah. God damn, that alien is kind of vicious. It kind of has I, that I, kind of maybe, maybe that guy. Yeah, it's, it's like the it's, it's the canine element of it. It's like a wolf, essentially. Yeah, kind of love that about it. You know, it's it's also whippet smart. You know, it, it understands exactly how to hunt. Uh, whereas some of the other aliens in the previous movies have been a bit clumsy. Um, this one, you know, it takes on, and that's the, I suppose that's the, the beauty of it being used as a weapon from the company's point of view is, oh yeah, whatever we splice onto this, it's going to take those, we could create the perfect killer here by putting a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this and it'll absorb it and become the perfect killing machine. Um, 
And yeah, I love, I love those. Like, to me, more of the kind of through the eyes of the alien hunting people angle and maybe less of the CGI alien would be cool. But I also understand that this is a movie coming off the back of Aliens, which gave you, at the halfway point to the end, is all aliens. Like, like so there's like so much aliens in that that to ramp it back, like the audience wants to see what the audience wants to see. And I see why the studio would be like, no, no, we need we need more alien in this. Um which I, I can I can imagine you, guys, you gotta want more alien. <laughs> uh, you know you know, guys, it was a great take, but we gotta have more alien. <laughs> you know, I, I love that. It's like <laughs> right, I, used, I used to have a t shirt that said I, I got to have more cowbell, and it was one of sure. my favorite things I ever owned. And then I got too thin for it. I saw an interview uh, with with Walken a while back. I, it, you know, some talk show or another, and, and somebody asked him about that. And uh, what the question was, uh, what what do people say when they approach you on the street? Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Oh, oh, cowbell." <laughs> and it's like, really? He's like, yeah, I don't know what it is, and. <laughs> It's like, well, it was hilarious, and you're amazing. Anyway, <laughs> oh, oh, I love him so much. Why he's why he was never in an alien film feels like a colossal misstep. Oh yeah, like he comes across the body, he's just like, oof, <laughs> you guy. I think it's an alien. <laughs> what? I found I found his watch. Yeah, his watch. This was his father's watch. Um. Down, an entire skin <laughs> lying on the ground. <laughs> uh, it, it only implies this alien's getting bigger. Is he still acting? There's still time. Listen, yeah, there, it, it, Ridley Scott, I know you're still doing something for them. Or there's a TV show talked about now. Get walking in. Walking could be a scientist. That would be amazing. Be and or Utani. Yeah, <laughs> or both. Yeah, I'm Waylon and I'm Utani. <laughs> It's got split personality disorder. I love it. Right. <laughs> or you do the mirror shots where it's clearly like split down the, the middle of the, the, the camera. I'm just saying Christopher Walken as Waylon, right? And David mm. Cronenberg as Utani. Oh, now you got something. And a, Holy and a, shit. A, and a buddy science show about corporations uh-huh. trying to get their hands on a xenomorph. <laughs> I've been watching I, the shit out of that show. Yeah. I, I wish I had a Cronenberg impression to go along with that, but I don't. Well, um, it's very difficult to, to impersonate because he is, he's just to, just, it's just a very, like, uh, it's a very monotone. Kind it of, yeah. And it, but it, it's, he's, he's got a very, like, it's, it's very monotone Canadian. Yeah. And it's, it's a tough accent for me to, 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 to kind of nap. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, of course. I trust you, Boone. Yes, that, but it's there. Of course. Yeah. Yes. I believe you, Boone. He's got a gun. Yeah. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean, this episode is already a hit. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you came for, but that's the show. <laughs> We're wrapping this up. Um, oh. Let's let's talk. Like, So we've talked about the, the alien and the, the plus points. The negative mostly is the CGI, I think. Um, there's also- and, and just the messy script and yep. the fact that these teams just don't... Like, you know, and I think we're kind of underselling the fact that despite all of these problems mm-hmm. it still looks amazing this movie honestly i think that's the th- i mean it shouldn't be a surprise now that we know david fincher more but if i was 
Like, because he wasn't that, like, it's not a household name for film buffs in 1992. Because he's come from doing music videos. So, you know, if I'm watching this, even if I don't like the movie, I can see why it's become a cult classic. I, I genuinely can, why people have kind of rallied around it. Because you're right, this movie still looks incredible. The 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 set design, the arc, the, there is something weirdly, um, you know, he mentioned it himself, he was, you know, a, a big fan of Ridley Scott. There is that kind of Ridley Scott, everything feels lived in. Yeah, you know, and everything. dirty. And yeah. Like it's, yeah, like it, the, the living in space is not clean business. Yeah. And, and there, like you said, even though that we're in this big smelting factory, the the hollowness of some of the shots oh, and, God, and like yeah. the tunnel shots and stuff makes it look really cold mm. and welcoming. Yeah, desolate um, and alone, and that's what you're supposed. Yeah. That's what you're. Like, I love that about it. I think that works. The score as well. The score on this is fucking brilliant. Um, and, and some of the alien shit is is genuinely like startling and, and gross mm-hmm. and you know there's the shot of the guy falling into the fan that gets really chunky I love that. <laughs> and yeah like there that's why I think the movie even as much as we're criticizing it and it, and my guess is at the end of the season it's probably going to be at the bottom of both of our list because it's it's going to be near it yeah and it's it's, once again it's a movie i can can watch alien 3 without any great difficulty you know i mean it's one of those movies it's it's a movie that i recognize is not the best by the director but it's a movie that takes no effort to watch yeah it that's the thing is that even though it it's kind of low tier fincher that turns out to still be really like not a great movie, but a totally watchable and entertaining. Oh, movie. good, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and with some like some good thrills in it, and even though at the end of it you're just like, what the fuck? Okay, um, like yeah, I get it, I guess, and and I respect the fact that we're just throwing Ripley into an ocean of fire as she clutches this queen alien yeah and effectively ends the franchise yeah but that, uh, that's interesting that the so in fincher's version no alien comes out and the you know the fox edit for release an alien pops out still technically i mean I, I suppose from their point of view it's like ah but maybe we can do something with this uh, somewhere down the line to be honest they could have kept the original ending and they would still been able to do something it's like you say nothing's ever dead in Hollywood there's always right. a way to bring it back and you know I'm sure it would have been no less preposterous in the fourth movie to do what they did because essentially what they're saying is they, they find their DNA Right, we grew a Ripley because we couldn't figure yeah. anything else out. Do we? Do we need to see the alien come out our chest then at the end? I don't know. I, 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 I know right. why you want that, but at the same time, it feels feels weirdly unearned. If you know what I mean, like that, like it just feels it's too on the nose. Her falling down, we get the iconic chestbuster scene, which we've seen in all the movies now and um, she's going to hold on to this thing because where's it going to escape to and we get that great action shot and the you know Lance Henriksen going no which I, I would much rather they sampled that and put that over Darth Vader <laughs> like when he finds out that Padme's dead as opposed to the reason no like, no. 
get, get like angry Lance Henriksen two steps away from kicking the fuck out of someone um, which he always is in every role he's two steps away from killing you and your lineage um, you know get, is, yes. like I love him and like I love him and you know trying to talk her down as well and like it not having like he like we I don't think anyone in the audience thinks that she's going to go on, but I love the fact that Lance Henriksen, Bishop Two, thinks he is so fucking charming that he'll, he'll talk around. <laughs> like, right. This woman has seen some shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> Ripley, look at everyone here. Like we all care about you. That's why we're here. It's mm. you. It's you, not the yeah. thing that's insane. It's you. And we, right. Like, oh, we just want to get that thing out. And we then when, yeah. but then like when it starts to like when she starts to push it further, it's you know think of all the things we can learn from it, and it's like well it's not me then is it? Right, and like she was never gonna go with him uh, <laughs> to begin with, but you're right. The fact that she teases him a little bit, yeah, like a little bit of hope, and then he- but as if that's gonna make her change her mind. The <laughs> this is the thing that I love about it is like if you look at like if you look at Henriksen's performance here, like the which is great. Like, I love Henriksen. And, but he's basically saying at first, you know, we we're here to look after you, we're gonna help you, all the rest is all about you, all about you, all about you. So then she moves out over the bit, she's like, I don't believe you, I'm gonna move over here, I think you're here for the alien. And then he's like that, listen, we're here for the alien. <laughs> Would you believe the alien? <laughs> like <laughs> it's just that ain't not working, boy. Let's, let's go to plan B. Hey, you love science? Sure, everybody loves science. Yeah, everybody loves science. <laughs> Hey, you know, you've been in space. Isn't that crazy, Ripley? Hey, and this will blow your mind. You're carrying an alien. What? Uh, let's not be too hasty, baby. Yeah. How about you? Look, let's just, let's have a drink. We'll talk about it. We'll see. We'll see where we are in half an hour. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's a big decision to jump into a fiery pit. Get yeah. It. Let's not be rash. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, she, she does this moment of sacrifice, which again, as Fincher envisioned it, the idea was that in the, in the first film, real Ripley is very self-absorbed and she becomes kind of an accidental hero. Yep. Uh, the, the second film is her sort of embodying her power that she has earned in the first film. Yep. And then in the final film is her learning that it's not about her, it's about the generations that come after her. Yeah. And so she has to make this act of sacrifice to ensure the safety of all. And and that's a nice arc. It, it, it's not as well realized in this movie no. uh, in a way that makes that totally clear. But that was his idea. And that was the thing that Sigourney Weaver clearly bought into with this character of course that's that's to me as an actor that's and you can tell that she has well i was going to say you can tell she has a great deal of passion for the character difficult to argue that when you see the fourth one um but she could have very easily turned up and phoned it in on the third movie she was getting paid all the money to do this she could have very easily turned up and phoned this in but the fact she plays it with the a degree of reverence, I think shows that she is fully committed to this character and to this arc. And what I what I hate about it is how messy they make it overall in this movie. It's it's once again that just because you are Fox and you see this as your property that you must protect, I think there has to be a realization at some point that sometimes protecting something is letting it be free, bo. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, 
Um, yeah, it, it's you know, it's it's the aliens we met along the way, Duncan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you know, the, and the, as we've been saying, it, it it really is the it's a sad case that David Fincher made this movie and it was a bad experience but i think it taught him a pretty valuable lesson in terms of how he approaches sitting in a director's chair and the demands that he's gonna make up front Mm -hmm. and and that shows with you know we'll get into it when we talk about uh seven yeah but the three years later he comes back with seven and like he went back music videos where he was kind of like the david fincher directed the freedom 90 video with all the models like that like he was an amazing uh, music video director and was probably the best Mm -hmm. uh, unsurprisingly the best i think he did uh cradle of love i'm pretty sure would not surprise me the list is extensive and it is like a who's who of incredible music videos it's every top star it is it is madonna it is george michael i mean is it is the people who were at the top of their game in the industry at the time is who he worked with Mm -hmm. and uh so he went back to music videos did just fine there because he's working with superstars and getting paid a lot of money to do that Mm -hmm. and uh, then you know when when the opportunity to do seven, it was a deal where there were two competing versions of the script. One had a, bo- a head in a box, one did not. <laughs> and um, he was like, "I want to direct the." He he accidentally got sent the script that was a previous version that had the head in the box. Yeah. Even though the studio had already decided we we ain't gonna do the head in the box version. Mm-hmm. And uh, he hooked up with the uh, the the producer um and was like hey this script is fucking cool uh i want to do this head in the box movie <laughs> and, and the, the producer was like yeah it's not really a head in the box movie anymore and then fincher was like well fuck that and the producer was like i'll tell you what if you can be ready to shoot in three weeks mm-hmm. it can be a head in the box movie and he was like fucking a three weeks it is we're making a head in a box movie yeah so <laughs> <laughs> that is a little preview of 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 where he went after this but yeah he kind of effectively left hollywood until he found the right project and the right project that allowed him to do the movie he wanted to do exactly exactly and, sometimes i think sometimes you weirdly sometimes you have to go through like obviously always had the dream of being a director sometimes you have to go through the worst experience as being a director to understand exactly the sort of movies and exactly the sort of director you want to be and i think he found that really quickly there is a reason that when you look at his filmography i, I mean he's been active since 92 as a director so like i say 30 years uh, next year as a director and he has put out 11 films which is not a lot compared to other directors that started at the same time. But he was very careful with what he did. Um and yeah. when when and he, he really does culture a project, you know what I mean? Really spends time curating culture on it to make sure it's the, the, the project that ultimately he wants at the end. And I think that's that's hugely important. Um any final thoughts on Alien 3 before I pose the first question of Opera Omnia uh, which is always the easiest one on episode number one. This question will be asked at the end of every single episode, uh, but there is only one answer on episode one, and that's where it gets more complicated moving forward. Any any final statements on Alien 3? 
you know, I I think it works well as an alien movie. For me, the the order of the films is sort of the order of release for the first three. It's like one, two, three. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of the order of quality of of the films. Um, I'm the same, by I the way. It, uh, just to put that there, I'm exact. I know some people do two, one, three, but that's insane. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I think yeah, those are. What, crazy what, what, what is the top? And uh, yeah, I'd like a, two is great. Like two yeah. is great, but one Love is it. four. Yeah, no, I got got them both on 4K. They're both amazing. Love watching them. Uh, but one is hundred uh, percent the superior film. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, but it still ranks in that list. Like there, because there are so many flashes. Like Fincher just can't help but make interesting shots. Yeah. And, and it's just in his DNA at this point as a filmmaker. And so watching Alien 3 is, is weirdly like watching the gestation of this artist, like struggling inside the uh, the, the cocoon of the studio system, if you will. Um, the fleshy uh, host of, of the studio system where I like like we've been saying, I, he learned valuable lessons out of this movie and still made an, an OK Alien movie despite the studio fighting him tooth and nail yeah. to make a shittier movie. And, uh, you know, as, as a result, this compromise of a film is is not the most satisfying. But um, it's interesting because it, it launched Fincher into a direction that has done nothing but benefit him and viewers. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. I think as well, I think... Um... As my kind of t- summation on this one, um, I also also think what this movie in particular shows uh, from, like I say, because Fincher himself like has disavowed this movie, but I think it shows a degree of integrity that that is maintained all the way through. So there is a certain point where movies start to become popular. You know, more people start signing on and saying, you know, this is actually a movie that I really like or whatnot. That sometimes that staunch um, a staunch kind of uh, staunch, not critique, but you know, the aversion to being associated with a project can over time mellow when public opinion changes on a movie. And his has never changed on this. This is a movie he doesn't really want anything to do with. I think if you could get his name off it, he probably would. Um, I think there's something honest about that regardless whether or not I find it entertaining, which I do, I think even with all its flaws, um, there are are moments in this that are up there amongst the best in the Alien franchise, for sure. Um, Yeah, it's it's an interesting one to come out the bat. Like I say, all the other series we've done thus far of Opera Omnia, the first movies tend to be movies where you really are like setting out your stall for what to expect from the director, whether it's the, you know, infamous, unfinished season one of Opera Omnia where we discuss Michael Mann and his first movie being Thief, which is arguably one of the greatest movies that Michael Mann ever right, made, if not of that decade. <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? um, or, you know, whether we're talking about Down Terrace for Ben Wheatley, which is this insular movie which really is just dripping with dread and tension all the way through, which is basically the backbone of how Wheatley's filmographies went. Or yeah. whether it's something like Catelyn Varga with Peter Strickland, which is this rape revenge movie, which doesn't feel like, which you know, doesn't feel like any rape revenge movie you've ever seen before, but is also dripping with this Euro kind of exploitation aesthetic, which 
is, you know, that's his calling card as well. There are elements in here of Fincher and it also exists in that weird time bubble. You don't get this anymore. Like, Fox are not hiring a music video director to do a multi-million dollar movie anymore. That's just not how the industry works. They just don't do it. It doesn't yeah. work that way and it hasn't worked that way for well over a decade. Um, you know, you, you don't do that anymore. You like you make the transition from music, you know, video director to making a couple of indies, um, maybe a Blumhouse movie, and then you get picked up to do bigger things. Like, James Wan's a great example of that. James Wan is only doing, you know, $200 million projects now because he had to make six, eight horror movies that slowly started to get more popular over time to get him to that point. But Fincher, basically, because of that, we can control him and a level of naivety um, in the industry, and obviously because Fox genuinely thought they, they could just, say, jump, and he would say how high... He's, he has, he walks in with a huge budget on his first movie um, which coming from making music videos must have been daunting AF and the fact that this movie holds up as well as it does with all the issues that surround it I think is a, a testament to him as a director um, Bo, the question I want brass balls people <laughs> like hey I, this movie is, I, I know what this movie is yeah. and they're like uh, we don't think you do I look trust me David Fincher yeah, I know exactly what I'm doing, and and they didn't, and that's that's where they fucked up. They fucked up, yeah, for sure. Um, the question you will be asked at the end of every episode of Opera Omnia is that, as we are at this stage, so we've only watched one movie, uh, you have to pick your favourite Fincher movie. So, having seen only one movie of David Fincher's in the chronology of this show, it's obvious what the answer will be. Um, but I still need to ask you anyway. Uh, it'll be interesting when we move forward to see at what point we divert. Because well, I, I was going to say it always happens. It happened last season for the first time. Um, uh. And we will see how quick into the season it happens this time. So the obvious answer is, after watching only one David Fincher movie, Alien 3, Bo Ransdell, is Alien 3 your favourite David Fincher movie up to this point? I mean, that Freedom 90 video is really good. Person of Flames um no it, yes alien 3 is my of of the the movies we have discussed alien 3 yeah. is absolutely my favorite david fincher movie yeah the de facto default david fincher movie is alien 3 as it stands all will likely change <laughs> in one month's time when we come back to do episode number two episode number two will be covering a little movie called seven it's a movie that dares you to ask the question what's in the box um <laughs> I mean, what, what is in that box? Uh, and I imagine the the impressions will be rife on that episode because if you've never watched Duncan and Bo Come Correct, impressions are mandatory. Um, so, yeah, I imagine a lot yeah, of Morgan Freeman. And he, this is one of the, like, this is God-tier Morgan Freeman in seven. <laughs> so I can't wait. I can't wait, <laughs> It's going to be a ton of fun. Now, Bo, I, I can't thank you enough for joining me for this first episode. You will be here for all 11 episodes. And like I said, at the start, we'll be covering Still to Come, Seven, The Game, Fight Club, Panic Room, Zodiac, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, The Social Network, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, and Mank. You do some interesting stuff. I've obviously mentioned Duncan and Bo come correct, but you are doing other shows and Lead Legion Podcast Network. Where can people check out the stuff that you do? 
Okay, so there's Pick Six Movies, which is uh, the kind of the other main show at this point, uh, which is me and a friend Chad, who is sort of the American you. <laughs> um, and uh, it, but we talk about movies based around a theme. This season, we have been talking about movies uh, produced for the Lifetime Television Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just dropped an episode uh, recently about the film She's Too Young. Uh, about a group of kids uh, in the Atlanta suburbs who get syphilis, oh, and Jesus it was one of the funniest conversations we've ever had about a movie. <laughs> so I encourage you to check that out. Uh, you can find that and everything else on LegionPodcasts.com. I would also invite listeners to check us out on uh, YouTube and uh, Twitch at Legion Podcasts, where we're starting to do some video uh, first podcasts uh including duncan and Bo come correct mm-hmm. uh so if you want to see us have the conversation as we're recording the podcast uh that is available uh both at uh, youtube and twitch and also facebook all of those at legion podcasts and uh and other shows as well uh so yeah we're trying to do new and and fun stuff uh over there so come by and check it out and say hello nice nice right well we will be back in one month's time where we'll be discussing a little movie called seven but until then please take care of yourselves and we will speak to you next time i want to fuck you like an animal (laughs) keep man